I love these songs and those texts. You know, if, if we didn't know it was Resurrection Sunday, this is a great way to be reminded. You know, for Christians, resurrection is the epitome of sort of what we signed up for. If we don't have a resurrection, guys, we are without hope and we're without God. And while we take one day a year and we say on Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, we specifically remember that the truth is resurrection is about every day and every moment of every day for us. This is a little different. This is a shorter devotional length message this morning. And can you guys put the image up for me? Is it there? Cool. Oh, is that as big as it gets? Okay, well, that's as big as it gets. I wish it was bigger. What I want to do this morning is, sorry, use this very small image behind me and talk about what it represents and specifically how that ties to Jesus on Resurrection Sunday. You know, on Resurrection Sunday, when the disciples got to the tomb, and we've heard this on more than one text, the stone had been rolled away. You know, God had sent some angels down there and they rolled that stone away. Now, when Jesus rose from the dead in the tomb, he didn't need that stone to be rolled away. If that stone was still there or not, that was all the same to him because doors and stones don't make any difference to him after the resurrection. But for his disciples whom he knew would be coming, he had those angels roll that away so they could come, as you heard in the text, and look in and see that grave was empty. We know they laid his body there. There's the cloths. He was here, but he's gone. You know, Peter and John go in, they see and they get it. They believe. So that stone being rolled away had nothing to do with Jesus. That was for the benefit of his followers. In 1853 and 54, the British painter William Holman Hunt painted this picture. Now, this became his best-known work. And back in the day, 150 or 60 years ago, this painting became famous all over the world. And sermons and poems were written about it, and other pictorial versions of this same theme followed this version. And what I want to do this morning is talk a little bit about this painting and its inspiration. The inspiration for this painting called The Light of the World is from Revelation 3, verse 20. And that's part of a letter Jesus was writing to the church at Laodicea. And we'll look a little bit more fully at what he said, but verse 20 says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I'll dine with him and he with me. And that was Hunt's inspiration for this painting. Now, with due apologies, because of the size, I thought this would be a whole lot bigger than it is. You guys will have to take my word for some of the elements of the painting I'm going to refer to here. In this painting, you'll notice that the Lord himself takes up the bulk of the painting. For Christians, life is all about the Lord himself. Jesus takes up the bulk of the painting because life in Jesus, the light of the world, is all about him and his person. I don't know if you can... Yeah, you can see most of this well enough. I'm going to quit turning around and just assume you can see it. Jesus is dressed here as a king. And on his head, he actually wears two crowns. He wears a crown of thorns that's wrapped around a golden crown. Hunt is reminding us, Jesus suffered a terrible, horrific death, borne witness to by the crown of thorns, but he also was not triumphed over by death. He conquered death, and so he wears the crown of gold, the victor's crown as well. 
the suffering of his agony, the victory of his resurrection. He also wears royal robes because he is in himself the prince of life. Some of these elements I know you cannot see at all, I'll just tell you. There are clasps that hold his robe together. They're right at his neck. And if you would look closely, you'd see that these are covered by gemstones. That Christ not only becomes this royal victor, but he becomes the new high priest because the gemstones on the clasp that hold his robe together are just like those worn by the Jewish high priest when he went in before God himself. You might be able to tell this painting is set at night. It's a dark scene. In fact, above the door is a bat. Hunt wanted us to make sure we know. This is a night scene. All the light in this painting comes from Christ himself. Jesus is the light of the world. You know, we've got the light around his head. You know, in past ages we put halos around holy people, didn't we? But if you read in Revelation 1, just a little bit earlier than this verse from Hunt, when John saw Jesus in heaven, the glorified, resurrected Jesus, he said his face shone like the sun. So Hunt shows the glory of Christ coming, the light of the glory coming from his face. And also he's holding in his hand this lantern, and that also lights the scene, doesn't it? And that's reminiscent for Hunt of God's Word. God's Word is a light to my path. It's by God's Word that I see life. So the picture takes place at night, the time of darkness, the time that represents death, but Jesus walks into it and with him comes light. Now, holding a lantern in one hand and with the other hand, he's knocking on this door. And let me just point out a couple features of this door. It's a big, heavy wooden door. If this door is closed, whatever's inside stays inside, and whatever's outside stays outside. It's a big, heavy door. There's also vines that have grown over this door. And if you could see closely, you'd see all the hardware is rusty. This door hasn't been opened in a long time, or it hasn't been opened at all. The other thing that's interesting about this door is there's no handle on this side. This door can only be opened from the inside. Jesus isn't going to break it in. It's got to be opened from the inside. Now, this is a remarkable painting to me. It's one of my favorites. Uh, this, the original of this uh, hang, hangs outside the chapel at Keble College in Oxford, England. And the reproduction, which is life-size, hangs in St. Paul's Cathedral in London. You can go there and see it today. It's a really neat painting. It's one of my favorites because of all that it communicates. But it's also really interesting. Hunt's point was to show that Jesus is the light of the world. And I get that and I love that. But if you take the context of that verse, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, that's also remarkable. Because Jesus is knocking at a closed door, but the door represents the church and the Christians at the church in Laodicea. That's fairly interesting to me. Jesus is outside his church knocking to get in, asking for admittance. So think of this. Jesus has conquered sin and death. Paul says in Colossians, Jesus has overcome every spiritual force in the universe in his death and resurrection. He's the prince of life. He's the conquering Messiah. 
Paul says in Philippians, His is the name in the future which every knee on heaven and earth will bow and every tongue will say, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. This is Jesus. And He's at His church and He's knocking on the door. Is that remarkable to you as it is to me? Now if you think about it, a grave couldn't keep Jesus in or out. A stone couldn't keep Jesus in or out. But here, a closed door has him on one side and the church and you and me on the other side. I think that's fairly remarkable. He is not breaking down this door with his power, though certainly he could. You notice he's also, he's not demanding obedience and submission to his will, though he certainly had every right to. And he doesn't have angels coming down doing his easy work, opening another door like they did at the tomb at his grave. He's standing outside the church, knocking at the door, saying, you know if you hear my voice, if you'll open the door, I'll come in. We'll sit down. We'll have a meal together. We'll fellowship together. Now, there's a very different scene inside the church. And this goes back to Revelation 3 and the rest of the epistle that Jesus had written to this church at Laodicea. So, those on the other side of the door that we can't see, they have a very different take of life than Jesus has. Very different indeed. Perspective is everything. They are locked. See, when I look at that painting, the other side to me, that's the grave. And that's our tomb. Jesus is life. So wherever he is, that's where life is. If you're on the other side of the door from him, that's death. That's the grave. That's a tomb. Like the one he came out of. The people living in this tomb in Laodicea, they think they're wealthy. And they think they have life. They're like the pharaohs of Egypt. You know those guys with all the toys and the trinkets. And when they died, they buried their toys with them. And so when we open their tombs today, there's their corpse, and there are their trinkets. But there's no life. Well, this church is just like that. So listen to what Jesus says. He speaks for the church. He tells us what their mind was. He says this at Revelation 3, verse 17. You say, you say to yourself, you think, I am rich and have acquired great wealth and need nothing. That's their take on the other side of the door. But you don't realize that you're wretched, you're pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus says, I see things the way they really are. You're not rich. Those trinkets, they don't matter. You're not what you think you are. You don't have the wealth you think you have because you're on one side of the door and I'm on the other. So Jesus says this, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich. Now when we hear this, don't think this is a real financial transaction. Probably doesn't even apply to real gold either. You know, sometimes in Scripture, in Isaiah and later in Revelation, God or Jesus will say, come buy something. And he says, by the way, the cost is free. Come drink from the water of life, Revelation later, Freely In Isaiah, without cost, no charge. That's the kind of transaction Jesus is talking about. And later, it's interesting in Revelation, 
When gold comes up in this book of the Bible, it's used in a variety of ways. But you know, if, if you gave any of us a bunch of gold, we'd think, man, we're rich. In Revelation, it is used for holy things like candlesticks and crowns. Represents purity and wealth and, and royalty. But you know the other thing it's used for in heaven? Measuring sticks and pavement. Measuring sticks and pavement. You know, God says elsewhere that what man highly esteems is despised by God. So, Jesus says to them, guys, I want to give you real gold, real wealth. And that's not the gold of this earth, 1 Peter 1, 7. Peter says, your faith is more precious than gold that perishes. You know, all the gold on this earth will one day perish. It'll be gone. Because Peter says, the elements of this earth will be consumed by fire. This earth as we know it will be gone. Everything on it will be gone. Toast, incinerated, reborn, if you will, as part of the new creation. So it's not gold that gives us true wealth. It's faith. Faith lays hold of everything else that's of value for us, guys. If we have faith in Christ, we've got the wealth of the universe. If we don't have faith but the wealth of the world, Jesus says we live in poverty. He also says they need white garments so that they can clothe themselves, that the shame of their nakedness will not be revealed. In Scripture, especially the New Testament, white garments represent righteousness, right standing before God. Earlier in Revelation 3, when Jesus addressed the church at Sardis, he said the faithful, those who have faith, those who overcome because they have faith in Jesus Christ, the scripture says elsewhere, it's our faith that overcomes the world. What makes us overcomers in the book of Revelation? In each letter to those churches, it's faith. Faith is what gives us the victory. And Jesus said to Sardis, the faithful will have these white robes. Jesus provides them. 2 Corinthians 5 talks about that Jesus became sin for us so that we could get His righteousness. He took care of our sin and we get His righteousness, those white robes, you and I can't buy them. We receive them through faith. It's Christ's own righteousness. You'll see this later. Revelation 4, the elders around Jesus' throne have the same white robes. Revelation 19, the church is said to be dressed in the same white raiment. The righteousness Jesus gives us. In other words, the wealth he wants to give, we don't buy. He gives it. You can't get it. You and I can't get it, but he'll give it freely. He says they need eye salve so that they can really see. We don't see things the way Jesus does. Again, if we value the things the world does instead of what God values, we don't see things the way Jesus saw them. If you go to John chapter 9, there's a story about Jesus healing a man who was blind, and he gives him sight. And this brings up this whole theme of, of not just physical sight, but spiritual sight. Do I see as things really are? And there Jesus said... For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see. And those who see may become blind. Those who see are those who say they see, but they don't. Those are the people behind this door. They don't see. Jesus says you need some eye treatment so that you can see things as I do. And then last, verse 19, he says, Those whom I love I reprove and discipline. Therefore be zealous and repent. I love this about Jesus. You know, we've talked about this before, but you and I live and move 
We have our being in the grace of God. And Jesus says, I'm here outside the door to my church because I love you and I'm patient and I'm gracious and I'm forbearing and I'm standing here knocking. Not banging the door down. It's love that has Jesus in this scene in the painting from Revelation 3. This is love that allows Jesus to continue to pursue us for our good. He's not outside demanding. He's loving us there. Now guys, you know, in our day, did you know that some churches are tombs and graves that churches today are represented on the other side of that door today, just as they were when this letter was written? Absolutely. Many churches are graves. They're tombs. Many churches have great history and great creeds. Many churches have outstanding examples of architecture and stained glass windows. And many churches have great financial resources available and a full ledger sheet, but they do not have the resurrected Lord. They're on the other side of this door. Now that's not just true of churches, friends. That's true sometimes of you and me. Many of us are just like the Laodiceans. We've got trinkets, and we think the trinkets are wealth. We've got big screen TV, and we've got Netflix, and we've got nice homes, and we've got good food, and we drive four-wheel drives and ATVs. But guys, if we think that's wealth, Jesus says we're, we're poor, we're wretched, we're blind, and we're naked. That's not wealth. That's just stuff. It's trinkets, which we can use here. It's a good thing. We're stewards of the things God gives us. But this is just trinkets. This is not wealth. The things of this life are not wealth. Unless and until you and I hear Jesus call, as individuals, to repent the message to the church and believe, we are on the death side of that door. Friends, that means we have grave living. We have a tomb life. It's as if Jesus never rose from the dead. It's as if the stone to his tomb still remains firmly in place. It's as if his body still lies there just like the pharaohs of Egypt. But that's not the case. Jesus stands outside the door and knocks, and if anyone hears his voice and opens the door, he will come in and dine with them and they with him. We definitely want to remember Jesus is kind, he's gracious, he's loving, and that's why he stands and he knocks. You know, some would quibble with this, but I have no problem saying the resurrection is a fact. It's certainly the best attested fact of ancient history, eyewitness accounts, the integrity of the scriptures, the work of the Holy Spirit in the last 2,000 years. I have no problem saying the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is a fact. So the fact isn't in question. The only thing that's in question is what do you and I do with the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and says even to us today and to our churches today, you're on the grave side of this door because you don't have me. Or you don't have the wealth of my word. You're not sitting at the table 
I set for you. Our call is just like that church. I discipline, I reprove those I love. Repent. Come back. Believe. Open the door. There's no work to that for us, guys. It's a big, heavy door, but it's just faith that opens the door. We simply say, Jesus, I get it, and I trust you, and I accept your free offer of eternal life, and I join you in resurrection life now. And as a church, it means that we say, guys, we're about reality, not appearances. We, we want to know that we're doing the do, that we're following Christ, that we love our Savior that has loved us and laid his life, laid his life down for us. It's about reality. Choose life. Hear the Lord knocking today. If you're on the other side of that door, get up and open the door. That'd be a good thing to do on Resurrection Sunday. Choose life and open the door. Father, we just thank you so much and so... Uh, it's insignificant, Lord, compared to what it, it could be. But, Lord, we thank you for the gift of your Son and the incarnation and the crucifixion and the resurrection. Lord Jesus, we, we hail you as the resurrected one, as the Lord of life. Lord, we choose to be on the life side of that door. God in heaven, we say that we believe in you and in your only dear, beloved, resurrected Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord... Would you help us by your grace say yes to your offer of life? Would you help us, Lord God, by your grace to be a church that hears your voice and responds?